Welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore and Jocelyn Gotto. This podcast is full of stories and lessons from the persecuted church to help you follow Jesus, no matter the cost. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. So tell me, Joss, what is the question like you loathe answering most about Open Doors? <laughs> that is a question that I don't like to be asked at all. What do you guys actually do? My gosh, is that like literally <laughs> it strikes fear in the heart of every single person. Which like, is so funny because we are a charity, right? So we should that should be like the question that we're answering the most, which it is, but it should be one that we have like a really solid, yeah. almost like rote answer for. Yeah. What do you guys do? The problem is it's like... I feel like you either get like the fire hose answer, which is like <laughs> yeah. someone's giving you an inch and so when you're standing <laughs> on a stall somewhere, you just take a mile and, and then they you sort of watch their face like their hair's Glaze blown back, over. it's wind blown, and yeah. they're looking going, my gosh, I did not expect that answer. I really wish I didn't And ask. why is this answer taking four and a half minutes? <laughs> or you go the other way and you think, Avoid just tell some inspirational story and uh, hope they Leave still... Leave them as confused as when that's they right, started. That's interested. <laughs> but for all of you listening today, that's the reality that we face at Open Doors because one of the things about, I think, that makes... Anyway, makes Open Doors unique is that across the 70-odd countries we work, the work the, like, can look different in every single country. Yeah. And so when it comes to sort of articulating what is it that you guys do, it's kind of like... It's really hard, but but for me, it's one of the things that actually my hope is is a trust building piece because actually we're not trying to do the same thing the world over. Mm, mm. We're trying to say, well, what is it that the church needs mm. in this the sort of most conflicted countries on the planet, and how can we in turn provide that help through the local church? And so, you know, it's, it's hilarious that. You know, it, it literally is. It's the thing that you go, we're a charity, man. You should know back to front what you do. <laughs> but it's like I sit there thinking, my gosh, please do not ask me the question, what do you do? Yeah, well, there are so, so many things. And I feel like our best um, our best attempt in answering that question is to kind of divide things into a couple of different categories with, yeah, the overarching theme being we help the persecuted church and it looks different in different places. But these kind of categories or buckets can help make some kind of sense of what we do and how that looks different in different places around the world. Yeah, well, we help people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. I mean, that, that's our overarching mandate is that whether you're a Christian in Australia and listening to this podcast or for that matter, New Zealand and other places, or whether you are serving the Lord in a persecuted country, our goal and our hope is that by being that kind of person in the middle, we, we can use stories from the persecuted church to chaperone a spiritual mentor, those living here in Western nations. And in turn, people in Western nations can use prayer and finances to help people in persecuted nations. I mean, that's that's a beautiful interplay mm. between the global church that, that Open Doors facilitates. But I think today for this episode, and it's the other funny thing is I think as listeners, you might go, man, this is going to be an awesome episode. I sit here thinking, my gosh, please just don't let this be boring. <laughs> you know, it's basically what we would call the impact report saying, yeah. hey, where have you guys helped us along the way? And one of the most beautiful sort of parts of that, Joss, is that I know just the other day I was sitting with you and you were reading me reviews from the podcast online. Mm-hmm. I mean, blowing me away. I mean, reading these reviews on Apple of people saying, hey, this is a great podcast. It helps me on my faith, you know. For, for for that, I mean, 
that for all the listeners out there, that's your impact on us. I mean, yeah. I literally had not read any of them, didn't know they even existed. And Josh said, there's more than a hundred of them here, Mike. And they're just like really, really encouraging. And so your impact on us is unbelievable. It's transformative. It encourages us. It helps us to want to keep going. So now my hope is <laughs> over the next 15 minutes, you can stick it out. It won't be boring. And you can hear where you have impacted the persecuted church. And so we've tried to break it down into, I guess you could call them some buckets or some categories and just want to share some inspirational stories of where and how you've helped. Uh, Joss, what are those buckets that we're going to be talking through? Sure. So some of them include things like evangelism, training, discipleship, and then there's other places where the help of Open Doors is really practical. So that's where we might actually start and we'll dive into a couple of other things. But sometimes the persecuted church just need practical help. Um, like, you know, there's this story um, from Mexico about a family who had their electricity turned off by the local leaders after they became evangelical Christians. And so they refu- they had been refusing to kind of conform and go back to traditional beliefs. Well, I was just in Mexico, Joss, and what blew my mind was that, so for, for our listeners and for most Christians in Western nations, over the last kind of decade or so, we have seen the the rise of ISIS, right? Mm. The war in the Middle East, Iraq, Syria, horrific brutality. But one of the biggest parts of that was what we would call the internal displacement of people. And so mm. people who were lower than refugees, they were called IDPs, internally yeah. displaced people. And yeah, across Iraq in particular and Syria where I've had the privilege of visiting both and IDP camps. I mean, people living with no sense of identity, no formal documents of um, hope. They left everything behind as far as houses, income, wealth, assets, you know, and living as refugees within their own country. Mm. I never realised when you talk about the family Mauricio and his family in Mexico had their electricity turned off by local religious leaders, well, one of the biggest elements of persecution in the Chiapas region of Mexico, which is where I was, mm. is displacement. Mm. And so I jumped right. into Mexico only a month or so ago and here I am meeting people who have been forced out of their community because they are evangelical Christians. They have left behind their house. Mm. They literally left behind, you know, cars, possessions, money, you name it, like kitchen utensils, pillows, socks, clothes. I mean, yeah, they have been forced everything. to leave with only the clothes on their back and then walk to neighbouring communities where Open Doors in these instances have given, you know, one family I can think of has given the houses and their whole family lives there now mm, and mm. they're trying to get their lives back together and minister. But what I didn't realise was I heard the stuff with ISIS and I thought that was shocking. Well, for listeners, that the support you're giving at the moment, it helps IDPs in Mexico of mm. all places who would mm. never have thought that, yeah, right? But yeah. people, because of their faith choice to be an evangelical, so that's a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christian, they are forced out of their communities by people who are generally Catholic. And yeah, so right. it's a really interesting interplay. So in Mexico, they would say to us, denominational protectionism is one of the key drivers of persecution. It's not Islam. It's people who are so passionately protective over the institution of a denomination Mm. forcing people to live as though they were internally displaced people within Mexico. Wow. And that's where things like practical support come in. I mean, I know it does does look different in different places. Like in Mexico, it's looking like electricity and housing. But in other places, it can be food packs or shelter or, you know, whatever it is to meet the needs of people. And often we don't get much detail around these stories. We'll kind of get an alert to say, hey, the safety and the security of this believer is at risk. It's in jeopardy. And um, 
you know, keeping them safe and alive and um, giving them a place of like a safe haven um, is, yeah, of, of paramount mm. importance. Um, and we, you know, we recently had a two-line report from um, Sister V who was regularly beaten by her husband um, for her faith and he abandoned her with their four children. And so we helped them buy new jackets for winter. Um, we don't really know when or how believers will be in need, but this kind of practical support bucket or category helps us to be ready when they are. Yeah, I think one of the great misnomers of, you know, Christian charity is that it always has to be so... I don't know, it's going to sound sacrilegious, but like it always has to be about Jesus. And what's so funny is that even the scriptures talk Mm. about looking after widows and orphans and that does look practical. And I think as Christians, sometimes our sensitivities of, hey, is that spiritual enough? Well, actually my encouragement to you as listeners today is, well, yeah, it is Mm. because what we're doing here by helping people and a mother and now a single mum with four children by giving them, you know, winterization packs or helping their families well, actually, it's all aimed at helping them follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. Yeah, that's right. It just may not necessarily be through always being, you know, a Bible or a gospel lesson or a coloring sheet or, a, you know, and that's the beautiful thing is that there is a multitude of ways that even if you think about it, Joss, you and I help Christians in our world yeah. through our churches, yeah, through right. meals or generosity yeah. or gifts of financial provision or whatever it is. Well, actually, we kind of just take the... um the Western lifestyle of generosity, help, aid, and, and not applied in a Western sense, but mm. realize that, hey, the way you follow Jesus here, the generosity that associates your faith here yeah. doesn't mean it's not Christian work in country yeah, when you're doing right. the same kind of stuff. That's right. And I think, I mean, a huge part of um, the Christian faith and the Christian life is community. And I remember a friend of ours said, you cannot be a Christian alone. Mm. Um, and so being able to come alongside other believers with really practical things, it's all a part of being the church. It's a part of being in community with one another. And I do believe it's part of being the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, and we get the opportunity to opportunity to do that all over the world Mm. um, in some of the most dangerous places to follow Jesus. Um, Do you want to jump in, Mike, maybe in telling us a little bit more about um, a different bucket, um, training and discipleship? Yeah, sure. Look, I, again, I probably have a little bit of a controversial view. I kind of like that, but it's (laughs) like, maybe not controversial, but I would say that discipleship, Joss, is of more importance to the church in the West and for that matter globally than evangelism. Yeah, right. Interesting. Because <laughs> I think that it's out of the overflow of a committed and a courageous relationship with Christ that true evangelism happens. Whereas I think if I jump into Western cultures and context, we can sometimes put evangelism before discipleship. It's almost mm-hmm. like we re um, refocus so much of our efforts towards evangelism, sharing the gospel, getting newcomers to church. All of those are brilliant things. Yeah. But actually, I think one of the most important elements of ministry in Western cultures for any pastor or leader listening Mm. is the ongoing discipleship of generally multi-decade Christians, right? people who have been serving the Lord for 10, 20, 30 years. How are we investing into their ongoing discipleship? Mm. Because generally, and as I look forward over the next decade in Western cultures, as religious freedoms change and faith comes at a greater cost, never before will it have been more important that people who currently follow Christ know how to keep following him because it's in those moments that it's out of the overflow of that, of pressure and restriction and acts of nonviolent persecution that we're going to need well-discipled, 
truly courageous Christians to continue sharing the gospel. And so for us at Open Doors, I love that training and discipleship is a key focus. 55, 1955, sorry, Bible delivery. Mm. It's not that we don't do it. In fact, mm. I think in the last 12 months, Joss, our listeners collectively, globally, have delivered 1.3 million yeah, wow. pieces of you know Christian literature and Bibles. I mean, Bibles are still front and centre, but actually off the back of that, we've expanded into the Christian literature and discipleship thing. Yeah. Because yeah. if people in these countries are coming to Christ but can no longer remain following him or they are not taught how to follow mm, him, mm. well, not only the churches um, fall victim to, you know, politics and pressure. I remember being in Morocco and Morocco is a really interesting part of the world. I mean, the church there often rarely gets larger than three and yeah, then right. when you get to three, it will split and they will start another church, wow. right? It's um, a very difficult place to follow Christ. Most of the churches that emerge are often in family lines, right? Because, for instance, um, faith is so secretive that when you be start a church, you might bring in your sister or your brother or your family or uncle or aunt or whatever else it is, and then that's where it can sometimes be a little bit more than three. What I didn't realize in Morocco was, but because there's a lack of understanding in discipleship and training and how to follow Christ, well, what would happen in these churches often mm. is that the moment they would get together to do anything, if one of the other families critiqued or criticized or disciplined a child of another family, the church would generally split, fracture and collapse. Yeah, right. right? Because they were like, well, how dare you discipline my child? Right? And all of a sudden that was enough to throw the church off kilter. Right. And time and time again we had heard stories of the church disintegrating simply because they weren't equipped, yeah. they weren't trained, they weren't discipled, they didn't know different under pressure how to communicate, how to follow Christ. And so that's just one example where I think that, you know, faith around the world, discipleship matters. Mm. And it matters as much in Australia and New Zealand and Western nations as yeah. it does in Eastern nations. Yeah, definitely. And so for us as a um, bucket, training and discipleship is something that is incredibly important to us. Yeah, and I mean, an example of that is in Central Asia. Uh, we are regularly running camps for pastors. These are men and women who are on the front lines of persecution. There's a story from a pastor named Amir who attended a two-day conference with 80 other pastors from his region. Um, and he said, where he is from, pastors are not considered people. If you are a Central Asian and have become a Christian, it is a disgrace. You are humiliated and insulted, not just from acquaintances, but from your own family and friends. Oh, wow. And he goes on to say, uh, for two days, he got to be immersed in joy, to be surrounded by fellow believers that only wish was for peace and strength for one another. They shared their life with each other, had fun, uh, strengthened each other to return to their communities. And these are the kind of things that Open Doors gets to be a part of and gets to facilitate um, and, you know, as believers, we take things like Christian camps for granted. You know, a couple of us, I mean, most of us would go on one, if not a couple of different retreats throughout the a year. Christian camp. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll call them a conference as yeah, we get a bit good. older. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they really are a luxury that the persecuted church don't have mm. um, that we do. And so Open Doors runs workshops, retreats, different seminars in all sorts of different countries around the world um, to strengthen believers and help them in turn, strengthen the believers where they are from. And the only way we can actually afford to do those is with the support of people yeah. like our listeners and others. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where I'm like, hey, hold on, because we actually really do, or in this episode, are trying to honour and say, hey, without your help, those camps don't run. Yeah. Or without your help, those Bibles aren't delivered. Without your help, the, the widow with four kids 
um, or the wife, sorry, who was abandoned with four kids, she doesn't get supported. Yeah. And yeah. so it does feel somewhat like, hey, I'm really trying to play the drum of, no, no, you need to know your support really does make a difference. Yeah. And I want to encourage you that it's not, it's not Open Doors that is doing it. Like, yes, we are kind of the bridge between you and the persecuted church, but it's really your prayers, your faithful giving, your support for the persecuted church, just remembering them um, that makes this all happen. So Open Doors gets to play like a very privileged role in that, but it's actually just us as a collective of people saying, you know what, I will stand with the persecuted church because when one part suffers, every part suffers and I'm a part of that same body. So I'm going to do my bit to look after it. Absolutely. Now, remember what I said just a moment ago, Joss, off the back of a courageous, discipled walk with Christ, evangelism happened. And so for us as an organization, it's not that we don't do it. In fact, Open Doors, in my view, it has been a gospel advancing ministry since 1955. Mm. And throughout those sort of 60, 65 years, all the way along, we have been trying to figure out, well, how do you keep the church going in, in the global church, mm, really? Mm. And so evangelism is of importance to us. And I know you've got a story here you can share about how we've done um, evangelism and how it's helped a group of radical Muslims. Yeah, we do. There's um, back to the old youth camp, church camps and how transformative they can be. Again, in Central Asia, um, there's been some youth camps run by our partners, but one of them really stuck out to me. They were running a summer camp for youth of their local community. And the youth leader said that among the attendees, there were 14 radical Muslim children. Um, As would be expected, they didn't want to participate in the activities, you know, sing worship or listen to the talks, but they would sit in the sessions covering their ears. Um, But the youth leader said, we continue to serve them, to pray to God, to move. And on the third day, things began to shift. They noticed that some of the children began to slowly sing some of the words. Uh, Others began to listen to the word of God when it was being preached. And then on the fourth day, when they talked about Jesus, that he died on the cross for us and that he rose from the dead, um, there was a call for salvation for people who would like to accept Jesus. And all 14 of the radical Muslim children stood up. Um, Isn't that just crazy? Like, can you imagine It is an amazing testament to what God is doing in that region and to what, um, you know, the heart of some of our partners on the ground there. Um, But, you know, it's a long journey ahead for those kids. It's exciting Mm. and it's, you know, you think, wow, more souls for Christ. And then you think about the road that they would have. You know, I feel like we always kind of joke about like once you leave a camp, you know, can you keep what you've learned Mm. there? Can you bottle that feeling up somehow of how you felt so close to God? Can you imagine giving your life to Christ at a youth camp as a Muslim, a radical Muslim, and then returning home to your family and what that would be like, the weight that actually comes onto you as you walk back into that home. Um, So many of the children at that camp shared that they are believers, but they've never told their parents or their friends um, and they're scared of what they would say. They didn't want to be the black sheep of the family. Um, We talked with them and prayed with them, our teams did, and – as the camp came to an end, those students who had covered their ears, they didn't want to leave. Um, God had worked in their hearts. And, um, yeah, it's a beautiful blessing and a privilege. And it's a part of what Open Doors does to be a part of, you know, those those stories and those children coming to the Lord. Yeah, amazing. I mean, to, to just think about, you know, it's almost like Saul to Paul, like conversion, I mean, yeah. radical yeah. to saved. And the hope is that, again, in the circular way through ongoing discipleship and training, of which we are able to provide in those regions, they can stay committed mm. to Christ and write a new 
write a new history for their families. Yeah. And I think that's powerful. Yeah. And open doors, like we pay for those camps. Like those children can only be there from the generosity of people yeah, right. who yeah. partner with open doors. And so if you're one of those people, whether you give monthly, once off, whatever it is, we are so grateful and you can kind of be proud that there are children who were once Muslim, who are now Christian um, as a part of your faithfulness. And, and that's kind of part of the fruit of, of your giving. Absolutely. Now I want to read everyone a quick letter from Afghanistan. I mean, last year we yeah. saw a huge uh, issue in Afghanistan when the Taliban retook control. And we saw all over the news channels, terrible and horrific things happening in that nation. And 1,500 of you listeners, our supporters, chose to stand up and support uh, financially the work of organisations like Open Doors in that region. But here's one letter that we've got, which I just think is beautiful. And it says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want to tell you very good news. We have started a ministry on the border with Afghanistan in our Central Asian country. This is a very difficult and closed area for the gospel, but by the grace of the Lord, he has opened a door for us to serve in this region. There are a lot of refugees from Afghanistan. Many of them are hiding in a deserted area without clothes, food, and drinking water. Water is particularly hard to obtain. Some families with a small income can afford to buy water, but there are very, very few. Basically, people drink rainwater when it comes and water from the river and ditches when it doesn't. We prayed in desperation to somehow be able to influence this situation. We knew we needed to find water, but we had no equipment that could reach such depths. Miraculously, we finally found a company who agreed to help us, and they ordered additional special equipment to drill at the required depth. For one whole month, the machine and three shifts of workers did not stop working. And then finally, a miracle happened. After a month of work, we reached the desired depth, 240 metres, and we found water. Thanks to the Lord, if it weren't for your prayers and your help, we could not have realised our dream and the dream of many people in this region. I mean, that, to me, is a gain. It is like... There are so many metaphors you can tie into the life-giving water of Christ, all these other things. But I'm like, here are people who follow Jesus, wake up and want to serve community out of an overflow of their expression of love to Christ in some of the most conflicted countries on the planet that devote their life and their labor to finding ways to help. And what I love is that it's kind of like the hand-in-glove analogy is that our listeners combined with that person on the ground over there, mm. man, that is the magic mix. It is just unbelievable to think that together all of us, Open Doors in the middle of that, kind of like a three-way, you know, triangle that helps um, helps deliver aid, hope and justice to people the world over. And to me that's a great story from a really, you know, public and difficult news um, cycle that we all saw, we all witnessed, yeah. we all felt. Yeah. But actually we were able to make a difference in. Yeah. It does, um, coming back to kind of the top of the episode and the question that we hate being asked of what you do, it does make me laugh because even considering what we've talked through in this podcast so far, we've talked about, okay, um, we've drilled down deep into the ground to find clean water for people who have been displaced. We are, um, there's children, Muslim children who are coming to know Jesus. There's people being clothed. There's people getting their, their lights turned back on. Um, that's why it's so hard to answer this question of, what is it that you guys do? Because it is so vast and I hope that this episode is kind of giving you a little bit of insight into why we find it difficult to answer that question because, and it's part of the beauty of the work, is that it it's just, it's it's what each community needs and what each, you know, church needs mm. to be able to serve the church best in their area. 
And even with Bible delivery that we talked about before, yeah. I, there's a, a lady here who writes, I never had a chance to own a Bible. It was shared with everyone at church. But now I have my own Bible that I can read, learn and see, things I've never experienced in the past. I'm so grateful and feel overwhelmed with joy when I hold it. This Bible helps me to understand God's work. Thank you so much. Again, I remember being in a country in Asia where we had just completed a translation of the Bible and handed it to someone who spoke the language that we had completed it in. They looked at me with tears in their eyes and they said, when I had a Bible in my own language, I realized that God spoke my language. Wow. Right? And it was kind of like, it seems simplistic or it seems like, well, what was he actually saying? Well, what they were saying was that Bibles in English kind of made sense and they tried to learn and try to grasp them. But when they realized God was able to speak their dialect, wow. he came to life. Yeah. Right. And I think that's one of the great things is Bible translation, Bible delivery, mm. of which you are all still a part, is allowing people to realize that God speaks their language the world over. And then in addition to that, we, we can sometimes default, I guess, to thinking and thanking people who support us financially. Mm. But actually prayer works too, Josh. I remember sitting with Brother Andrew and he yeah. says, if only you knew the power of prayer, you'd be on your knees a hundred times a day asking God for things that would turn the world upside down. Yeah. And I know that you've got a couple of great testimonies there on people who have experienced breakthrough just from prayer support. Yeah, I do. Actually, just from October of last year, uh, three believers who had been in prison because of their involvement in house churches, they wrote a joint letter and a video statement petitioning their right to meet as believers in a church building. They wrote that as a result of the gross and widespread violation of this right, that a large number of Christians are currently in prison throughout Iran, enduring long-term sentences, floggings and deprivation of social rights. So believers from all around the world took up their case in prayer and advocacy. And as a direct impact of that campaign, nine Christian converts who were serving five-year prison sentences for their involvement in house churches have been conditionally released from prison, praise God, pending the review of their case. The nine men were informed in December that they would be released on or before the new year. Um, and then not long after that, eight Christian converts were cleared of apostasy or renunciation charges. Their lawyer tweeted a copy of the ruling saying it offered a glimmer of hope amidst the despair of continued arrests of activists and dissidents, imprisonment, torture, executions, etc. in Iran. So here we can see that amid the darkness and oppression, Jesus is light. And in the turmoil of injustice and despair, 17 different believers were released from prison in Iran because of your prayers. Amazing. I love that. Isn't that just yes, yeah, powerful. crazy? So as we bring this in to land and again, say thank you to each of you for all of the help you've supported us over. One of the things that we love to do at Open Doors and we have done for the last three months is ask our supporters here in Western, how can we pray for you? Mm. It's my favorite thing, Josh, throughout the year because we get back some of the most vulnerable, intimate, but beautiful prayer requests. And then each one of our team members takes a handful of those, prays over them. We write a personalized response saying, hey, we prayed for you this morning. Here's what we prayed for and believed in. Because the reality is, you know, like that brother said, you can't be a Christian alone. Mm. right? And I'm like, that's what we're doing. Like we're not, a, like I, I really don't like considering ourselves an organization. Yeah. We are a vessel by which we can actually serve, love and support people and in the process allow you guys to serve, love and support people. And I think the best way to put our money where our mouth is is to say if we believe in the value of Christian values, prayer, well, the least we can do is invite you guys in to the same experience of Open Doors. And so thank you for writing back your prayer requests and allowing us to pray for you. 
I wanted to finish today by speaking a prayer over you that was prayed by a woman named Kirti in India. Her husband was murdered by moused extremists for choosing to live for Jesus. She now carries on with his legacy, sharing with anyone who will listen that amidst her suffering and pain, Jesus has always been worth the cost. Mm. So let me read you Kirti's prayer for you, for other persecuted believers and for God's work. She says, Life-giving God, I thank you and pray for all those people who supported me in my difficult times. God, bless all of them. Meet all their needs. I pray for those people who are facing persecution for being Christians in many ways. Lord, give them courage so they can face this persecution. May your church grow in every country, that many people may be saved and dedicate their lives to you. All those who persecute Christians and oppose them, they should also be saved. I pray for the servants of God that those who go to many villages to share the word of God, God will keep them safe and fulfill all their needs. Help all of us to live life according to the word of God stated in the Bible. Amen. That's Kitty's prayer. And it's almost it from us today. But next time, this is what I'm excited about, Joss. Next time we're going to learn more about the man in white. Now, when I first started Open Doors, I had heard stories about this. I mean, Muslims coming to faith in Jesus through dreams and visions, having seen a man in white. And you and I, only a few weeks ago, we met went and met with a guy who has one of the most powerful testimonies of the man in white I've ever heard. And so after two years, two long years of not doing the Open Doors live tour, we are taking the podcast back on the road. And with a series of live events towards the end of this year down the Eastern Seaboard, the first quarter next year, Western Australia, Tassie, South Australia, maybe New Zealand, we're coming. But what we are going to do is have with us one of my friends, an Iranian, a Persian background believer, a Muslim who found faith in Christ through a dream and vision of the man in white. It is amongst the most powerful, the most hectic and the most beautiful testimonies I've ever heard. I stopped praying like a Muslim and, and I said, I'm not going to pray to you anymore. Uh, and um, I sat on the ground and I, I just said one sentence and I said, God, If you are alive and if you are real, show yourself to me. I had a dream from Jesus Christ seven days after that. Jesus came to my dream. And not only in my dream, in my mom and my sister's dream as well, in the same night. He had a long cloth, white color. The beard, the the hair was white and long. And he gave two white papers to my mom and said, Mary, I am Jesus Christ. And so next episode, hold on, get ready, strap yourself in because we are going to talk about the man in white. We're going to understand how Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus through dreams and visions. And more than that, we're going to highlight a live series of events, worship, stories. It's going to be powerful. We can't wait to be with you. And as always, thank you so much for your support. Without your help, the work that we are involved in could not be done. So we love you to bits. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next time. God bless. And I was blinded so that I might see The man in white The man in white 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore and Jocelyn Gotto. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz.